Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Savior Said. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hey guys, welcome back. This is the episode for August 17th through 23rd, Helaman 1 through 6, The Rock of Our Redeemer. And we are going to be talking about one of my favorite scriptures, Helaman 5.12, this week. I am so excited. And that is the scripture that Come Follow Me used for the title of this particular assignment. So apparently Come Follow Me likes that scripture too. So we've got a lot going on here. This section in particular was interesting to me because I feel like there are so many corollaries between what the society then was happening to them with like the secret combinations and the oaths and the political intrigue and things like that, the divisiveness, the pride, and what we see today is also going on. I feel like there's a lot of parallels between our society and their society. And so I felt like it was really good to go in and look at this so I could start recognizing things as they really are. And so I saw, saw some of that, um, and there's other stuff. We're going to talk about it. But first, let's go into the introduction of Come, Follow Me. And it says, The book of Helaman records both triumphs and tragedies among the Nephites and Lamanites. And stopping there, one of the things that I love about the Book of Mormon is it doesn't tend to, like, take sides. I mean, yeah, the Nephites are definitely, like, the good guys, yes. But it doesn't tend to, like, over-glorify, I guess, you know, somebody to the point where they're too perfect or these people are too perfect and, you know, we don't see any flaws with them. This is one of the chapters or these chapters are some of the places in the Book of Mormon where it really opens up and says, hey, the Nephites weren't a perfect people. Like these were some of their flaws. And hey, the Lamanites weren't just a bad people. These were some of their good qualities. And we're actually going to see where they kind of like swap places where the Lamanites become like the good people and the Nephites become like the bad people. So that's one of the ways that the Book of Mormon to me really humanizes spirituality. And it really humanizes our relationship with our Heavenly Father because it shows us that even when we are imperfect and even when we are not living up to the expectations that we have for ourselves and that our Heavenly Father has for us, we can still come to him. We can have those human and flawed moments, and he makes them better, and he makes them perfect. And I love that we see that in these chapters this week. Okay, going back into Come Follow Me. It begins with a serious difficulty among the people of the Nephites, and the difficulties keep coming throughout the record. Okay, pause there. So a serious difficulty among the people of the Nephites and the difficulties keep coming. Does that sound like the year 2020 to anybody else? Like the difficulties keep coming, right? We get all kinds of crazy stuff this year. Um, of course, the big difficulty, I think, overarching everything is the COVID-19 virus. But continuing on. Here in the scriptures, we read about political intrigue, bands of robbers, rejection of the prophets, pride and disbelief throughout the land, But we also find examples like Nephi and Lehi and the more humble part of the people who not only survived, but thrived spiritually. That to me was very interesting because it's easy for me to look at like the doom and the gloom, not only in the Book of Mormon in this reading, because I was like, man, this is like really bad stuff going on. This is a really rough time for them. But also in our society today where I'm like, oh, there's some really bad stuff going on. This is a really hard time for us. But I went back in after reading the Come Follow Me assignment and saying, they thrived? Like they thrived spiritually in the middle of all this bad stuff? And what does that mean for us? Do we thrive in the middle of all this bad stuff going on around us? Come Follow Me asks, how did they do it? How did they stay strong while their civilization began to decline and fall apart? The same way any of us stay strong in the mighty storm the devil sends to beat upon us by building our lives upon the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ, the Son of God, a foundation whereon, if men build, they cannot fall. 
That's my favorite scripture. And that is the reason why. Because at any point in your life, no matter what you're going through, whether it's the best day of your life or the worst day of your life, that rock of your Redeemer is there for you to build on. And I started thinking about, you know, we're going through really rough stuff right now. How do we stay strong when our civilization begins to decline and fall apart? We rely on the rock of our Redeemer. It's not just enough to go to church, you know, once a week and even, you know, Relief Society Zoom and stuff like that is nice. It's really nice and I'm glad it's there, but that's not enough. That's not going to be enough to tide you over. Listening to this podcast, not enough to tide you over. You've got to be making your own personal scripture study and you've got to be making your own personal relationship with your Heavenly Father and constantly evaluating that and making it stronger. This week, I sat down and I was like, okay, so I realized that my quiet time with my Heavenly Father, which I usually do before I go to bed at night, that it wasn't cutting it. Like I wasn't getting enough quality spirituality out of it. Um, I guess I was just too tired or just it wasn't good at time. I don't know. So I actually made a change this week and I started doing my scripture study during the day, an earlier time during the day. And it made a big difference. I was able to actually like focus and be a little bit more intense and about my scripture study and listen more to the spirit. And I thought more about it during my day as I was going about. So that was a change that I saw in myself. You know, what do I need to do to survive this time? I need to grow my relationship with my heavenly father. What are some things I can do to grow that relationship to more firmly root myself upon the rock of my redeemer? And the answer was to focus more fully upon my scripture study. And so that's what I did. Okay. So this week, you know, come follow me had some good stuff and it had some good questions in it, but I felt like it was a little surface level. So I actually kind of want to go through and talk about some of the different sections that we write in our scripture reading this week, and it'll hit some of the content and come follow me as we go along, I believe. So the first section I want to talk about is in Helaman 1, 1 through 21. The Nephites start having some pretty serious difficulties politically, and I actually want to go in and read some of these verses. This is Helaman 1, this is 1 and 2, and then we're going to read a little bit more. But first first and second verse, first of all. And now behold, it came to pass in the commencement of the 40th year of the reign of judges over the people of Nephi, there began to be a serious difficulty among the people of the Nephites. For behold, Pahoran had died and gone the way of all the earth. Therefore, there began to be a serious contention concerning who should have the judgment seat among the brethren who were the sons of Pahoran. So contention started with political issues. And then it kind of spiraled out of control till the entire society was kind of caught up in this. And we actually see that the Lamanites start using this contention against the Nephites. And we see this in 16, 17, and 18. And it says, Therefore, the king of the Lamanites, whose name was Tubuloth, Tubuloth, I guess, who was the son of Amaron, supposed that Coriantumr, being a mighty man, could stand against the Nephites with his strength and also with his great wisdom, insomuch that by sending him forth he should gain power over the Nephites. 17. Therefore he did stir them up to anger. And he did gather his armies, and he did appoint Coriantumr to be their leader. And he did cause that they should march down to the land of Zarahemla to battle against the Nephites. So the king of the Lamanites knows that one of the best ways to get control over the Nephites is to stir them up in anger against each other. Divide your enemy, and then your enemy isn't nearly as strong. 18, it says, And it came to pass that because of so much contention and so much difficulty in the government, that they had not kept sufficient guards in the land of Zarahemla. For they had supposed the Lamanites durst not come into the heart of their lands to attack that great city, Zarahemla. The attack did come from the outside, but the bigger attack, the one that started first, came from inside. And because they were so focused on the attack inside, they weren't watching the outside when the Lamanites came in. Contention is so dangerous. And I feel like we are a society of contention right now, politically. And that's how it started in the Book of Mormon. So that was really scary to me. Um, you know, even this morning, I have people sending me articles from both sides of the political spectrum on, oh, read this, or oh, read this, and like, I can't believe they're doing this, blah. And... I'm like, there's so much contention surrounding the issues in our society today. Let's read a little bit about what some of the prophets and brethren have said about contention. James E. Faust said, When there is contention, the Spirit of the Lord will depart, regardless of who is at fault. And that's from the April 1996 General Conference. 
regardless of who is at fault, the spirit of the Lord departs. So it doesn't matter if you're right. It doesn't matter who's right in the conversation. If you're fighting, the spirit of the Lord departs. Joseph B. Worthlin has said, the sins of corruption, dishonesty, strife, contention, and other evils in this world are not here by chance. They are evidences of the relentless campaign of Satan and those who follow him. He uses every tool and device available to him to deceive, confuse, and mislead. 1994 October General Conference. Every tool Satan has, he uses, and that includes contention and divisiveness among people. And then to see the opposite side of that, you know, we've talked about the negative effects of contention. So the opposite of contention is what? It's peace. It's peacemaking, right? Henry B. Eyring has a really good quote that says, where people have the spirit with them, we may expect harmony. The spirit puts the testimony of truth in our hearts, which unifies those who share that testimony. The spirit of God never generates contention. It never generates the feelings of distinctions between people which lead to strife. It leads to personal peace and a feeling of union with others. It unifies souls. A unified family, a unified church, and a unified world at peace depends upon unified souls. To me, that was very instructive to be a unified soul and a unified family, and a unified church in the middle of the society that has so much contention and just roaring going on from like all angles to be a peacemaker. And remember, I've said this before, peacemakers aren't just people who like, you know, take warring sides hand in hand and make them like make a peace, right? You don't just like broker peace between two warring parties. A peacemaker is someone who brings peace into stressful situations, or a peacemaker is someone who creates areas of peace in people's chaotic lives. So you can be a peacemaker by bringing peace into these areas of contention, bringing peace and love into your family, being peace and loving at work or with your neighbor or wherever you might be that people are yelling and fighting, bringing peace and love into your social media accounts, bringing peace and love with you everywhere you go. And that is what is going to save the world. That's what is going to save our society in times like this, our unified souls, people who have peace at their heart and who are able to bring that peace to others. So strive to be that kind of people. I'm striving to be that kind of people in my own heart. There were times this week where there was stuff that was being circulated, especially on social media and in our national news media, that just made me crazy. Like there was specifically stuff that I had seen previously in my life. And I knew something about this person and then they were talking about them on the news and it was driving me bonkers not to say anything about it. But going back in and reading this stuff and being like, okay, so if I start throwing out mean contentious stuff, that's not the spirit of the Lord being at work in my life, right? You know, sure, the people who are posting this stuff are posting it and I could get into arguments with them, but that's not going to change their mind. It's not going to make it better. I just need to let it go. And so I did. Um, But it was really hard. It was really hard because I definitely had an opinion about it. But it was reading these scriptures and seeing just the destruction of the Nephites, especially, you know, it all started there with that political stuff with Pahoran. And it kind of just rolled downhill from there saying, okay, I need to step back and instead put out peace and put out love and put out goodness. And so that's what I tried to do. Okay, something else that happens in Helaman 1 is we start to see the formation of secret groups, the Gadianton robbers, um, secret societies built together for evil purposes. And this is Helaman 1, and this is 9. We're going to start in 9. And this is after Pahoran's been murdered, and they can't figure out who they want to be the judge next. So in 9 it says, And now there are those people who are desirous that he should be their governor, saw that he was condemned unto death, therefore they were angry. And behold, they sent forth one Kishkumen, even to the judgment seat of Pahoran. This is Pahoran Jr. that they're sending him to. And he murdered Pahoran Jr. as he sat upon the judgment seat. And 10. And he was pursued by the servants of Pahoran. But behold, so speedy was the flight of Kishkumen that no man could overtake him. And he went unto those who sent him, and they all entered into a covenant, yea, swearing by their everlasting maker that they would tell no man that Kishkumen had murdered Pahoran. This is where we have our first secret covenant, the first Gadianton robber type meeting, right? Um, to me, it's so interesting how many times Satan doesn't seem to be very original. 
Satan seems to copy the Lord in a lot of things. And so I feel like a lot of times when we see, you know, different patterns that he set up, they're copies, they're complete counterfeits of what the Lord has set up. And we see this in 11, where they all entered into a covenant. I mean, that phrase, they all entered into a covenant, could be used in any other situation to describe the people of Christ entering into a covenant with him. But it's being used in a very evil sense here. And we see that they were swearing upon their everlasting maker. They swore upon their maker, upon God, that they would keep this covenant about murdering Pahoran. Like, that is awful. That's blasphemous. They took this covenanting that we do with our Heavenly Father and they turned it to such evil purposes. That was the beginning of kind of the downfall, I think, of the Nephites. This is where the secret societies and stuff started. Not good. So here are what some modern day prophets and our brethren have to say about the secret combinations. M. Russell Ballard has a really good quote about this. He says, and it's kind of long, but I'm going to read it because it's good. Okay. The Book of Mormon teaches that secret combinations engaged in crime present a serious challenge, not just to individuals and families, but to entire civilizations. Among today's secret combinations are gangs, drug cartels, and organized crime families. The secret combinations of our day function much like the Gadianton robbers of the Book of Mormon. They have secret signs and code words. They participate in secret rites and initiation ceremonies. Among their purposes are to murder, plunder, steal, commit whoredoms, and all manner of wickedness contrary to the laws of their country and also the laws of God, which is what we see in Helaman 6.23. If we are not careful, today's secret combinations can obtain power and influence just as quickly and just as completely as they did in the Book of Mormon. Do you remember the pattern? The secret combinations began among the more wicked part of society, but eventually seduced the more part of the righteous until the whole society was polluted. The Book of Mormon teaches that the devil is the author of all sin and the founder of these secret combinations. He uses secret combinations, including gangs, from generation to generation, according as he can get a hold upon the hearts of the children of men. His purpose is to destroy individuals, destroy families, destroy communities, and to destroy nations. To a degree, he was successful during Book of Mormon times, and he is having far too much success today. That is why it is so important for us as priesthood holders, this was in a priesthood session of conference, but us, I would say, as members, to take a firm stand for truth and right by doing what we can to help keep our community safe. That is from the October 1997 conference. October 1997, guys, that was, what, 23 years ago? And he was talking about the secret combinations and stuff existing in our society then. How much worse has it gotten now? Are you scared yet? Because uh, that to me was kind of terrifying. But the hope that he brought with that last little phrase there, that's why it's so important for us to take a firm stand for truth and right by doing what we can to keep our community safe. By doing what we can, like Henry B. Eyring said, to be unified and to keep us all unified together. This time that we're in right now, where we're so, you know, separated and we are social distancing, we're isolating because of the virus, tends to make us, I think, as a society, we're distanced from each other mentally as well as physically. And so it divides us just not even because of sin or anything like that, but we just have to be divided physically. And so that kind of creates those divided mentally and socially as well. I want to do an experiment right now. This is one of the ways that I think I have best stayed unified during this time. So just take a moment. I want you to pause the podcast and I want you to pick up your phone and I want you to text somebody, somebody whoever comes to your mind. Maybe it's someone who needs a lift. Maybe it's someone you haven't talked to in a while. Just send them a text and say, hey, just thinking about you. Just want to see how you're doing. Something like that. Or how's things going? Just thinking about you. You've been on my mind. Something to that effect. Pause the podcast right now. Find someone. Reach out to them through text. Just do it. Okay. That is one of the best ways I have found to unify ourselves during this time. Reaching out to people. It's hard because especially if you're an introvert like me, reaching out is like not your natural state of being. Like I'm kind of actually really happy being closed up at my house for the last couple of months. I've been okay with it. But 
taking those moments when I feel prompted to by the Spirit and reaching out has been interesting because there's been several times where I've done it where I'm like, hey, you okay over there? Like, I feel like I need to reach out to you. And the person will be like, oh my gosh, the spirit totally tattled on me. Like I had all this stuff going on and I was going to call you, but then I didn't. And I'm like, yeah, sorry, the Holy Ghost tattled on you. You've been on my mind. <laughs> I just wanted to check and see, you know, how you're doing. Um, and that's one of the ways that I've stayed in contact with people. I think text messaging has really helped me stay unified with people during this time. If you're not a text messenger, if you are more like a phone caller, that's fine. Call somebody right now. Do whatever you can right now at this moment to reach out and connect with somebody who's outside your family, just so that they know that you're there and you're thinking about them. Taking those steps, I think, each day to reach out and to connect with somebody who's not in our little like everyday orbit is one of the ways that we're going to stay connected. And I think that is so important when we have these secret combinations, and not even just like the groups of the secret combinations, but just Satan himself dividing us up and kind of dividing us asunder, disunifying us, breaking us apart where we need unity now more than ever. Gordon B. Hinckley has a really awesome quote about how to defeat these secret combinations and these groups of darkness. And this was actually a general conference that followed the terrorist attacks that happened on 9-11 in 2001. And he's talking, so he's talking about the terrorist organizations there. Again, this is Gordon B. Hinckley. He says, terrorist organizations must be ferreted out and brought down. We of this church know something of such groups. The Book of Mormon speaks of Gadiant and robbers, a vicious, oath-bound, and secret organization bent on evil and destruction. In their day, they did all in their power, by whatsoever means available, to bring down the church, to woo the people with sophistry, and to take control of the society. We see the same thing in the present situation. But we, we are people of peace. We are followers of Christ, who was and is the Prince of Peace. And that is from the October 2001 General Conference. We are followers of Christ, the Prince of Peace. We need to bring peace with us and unity with us wherever we go. Okay, I want to move along a little bit from chapter one. Let's move into chapter three. And specifically, I want to focus on the verse um, Helaman 3.20. It says, nevertheless, Helaman did fill the judgment seat with justice and equity. Okay, pause real quick. So this Helaman is not Helaman Sr., who, you know, we've, we've read about Helaman previously. This is Helaman Jr. This is Helaman, his son. All right, yea, he did observe to keep the statutes and the judgments and the commandments of God, and he did do that which was right in the sight of God continually, and he did walk after the ways of his father, insomuch that he did prosper in the land. To me, what is interesting is, you know, he did choose made choose the right. He made right choices, but it wasn't just once or twice. He did good continually. He did that which was right in the sight of God continually. And if you listen to the podcast any length of time, you know I'm fascinated by people who can be diligent and can do the right thing continually and who can be long-suffering and who have that patience and that ability to just constantly be there and be dependable to the Lord. And that's something I strive so hard for in my personal life because I feel like I am naturally the opposite of that. Like my natural man is very flaky and very kind of like neurotic and not always dependable. And so that is something that I strive after. So whenever I see an example of that happen in the scriptures, it always stands out to me. And so to me, this was Helaman doing that which was right in the sight of God continually. And that to me was like, okay, I need to be able to do that. And I need to follow Helaman. So how do we do that? One of the best ways to do that, to continue to do good continually, there's lots of continuing in there, is to keep our covenants. And this is a quote from Spencer J. Condy. He is in the 70. And he said, Perhaps of all the evidence of true conversion and a remission of sins, this is the most significant. The disposition to do evil no more, but to do good continually. We can strengthen our disposition to do good each time we make and keep covenants. Each time we participate in priesthood ordinances, the powers from on high reach downward and draw us near to the heavens. Okay, pause and just think about that. Create a mental picture in your mind right now. Each time we participate in priesthood ordinances, like the sacrament, the powers from on high reach downward and draw us nearer to the heavens. 
What a beautiful blessing that is. That was kind of a wow moment for me when I read that quote. It was just like, what? Being drawn near to heaven. I love the visual image of that. Okay, continuing on with Elder Condi, he says, Those who partake of the sacrament and temple ordinances with pure hearts and who faithfully keep their covenants, these are the faithful saints of the Most High who keep the sacred covenants they have made in the house of the Lord, having a determination to serve Him to the end and to truly manifest by their works that they have received the Spirit of Christ unto the remission of their sins. Covenant keepers live the law of consecration, their time, their talents, their financial resources all belong to the Lord. Keeping their covenants has caused them to develop a disposition to do good continually. And that's from the ensign, a disposition to do good continually, August 2001. And to me, I was like, okay, I may not be able to make the right choice in every situation I'm ever in in my life, but I can make the choice to take the sacrament every week. I can make the choice to draw nearer to my Savior and have Him draw me nearer to Him, right? I can keep those covenants that I've made. I can live up to those standards at least. I may not be perfect, but my heart is turned in the right direction, and I think that counts for a lot. Um, That's one of the ways that I think we can fight the evil in our society and keep us pure from the evil in our society is keeping our covenants and striving to do that which is right in the sight of God continually. So that's why that stood out to me. Okay, another section I want to point out is kind of we're leading into the Pride Cycle. And if you've ever studied the Book of Mormon, you know about the Pride Cycle. The Pride Cycle is something that we talk about all the time. It's where the people start to do good, so they're blessed, but then they get kind of used to being blessed, and so they start being prideful, and then they start falling away, and they start making bad choices, and so then they have to be humbled by the Lord. And they're humbled, and they make right choices, and then they're blessed, and then, you know, so it's like the cycle that they kind of follow in. We're going into that. So right here, we see the prosperity that we have in our lives. And in Helaman 3, 24 and 25, it says, And it came to pass that in the same year there was exceedingly great prosperity in the church, insomuch that there were thousands who did join themselves unto the church and were baptized unto repentance. Okay, pause there. So interesting to me that prosperity in this instance, in this case, doesn't necessarily mean like monetary prosperity, which is usually what we associate with prosperity, but instead meant that the church was expanding and growing. I think that's beautiful. 25, and so great was the prosperity of the church and so many blessings which were poured out upon the people that even the high priests and the teachers themselves were astonished beyond measure. The people were so richly blessed. And I've got a quote for you about this. This is Elder Dean L. Larson said, when the lives of people are in harmony with the Lord's will, All of the essential factors that produce blessings God deigns to give his children seem to come into line. Love and harmony prevail. Even the weather, the climate, and the elements seem to respond. I thought that was so cool. So, so cool. Okay, continuing with the quote. Peace and tranquility endure. Industry and progress mark the lives of the people. We have the Lord's assurance that he will bless and prosper his people if they will keep his commandments and remember to look to him as the source of their blessings. Reading that quote stood out to me today. It was really powerful because it took a moment for me to sit and think, have I really thanked the Lord for my blessings recently? You know, I always try and do it, do that every time I pray, you know. I have a little rule, and this may sound silly, but in my mind, this is kind of how I keep myself like in a grateful place where I try and thank my Heavenly Father for more things than I ask Him for. And so that kind of helps keep me in, I think, like a grateful mindset. I know it sounds kind of like Pharisee because it's like a checklist, but it's more of like, I would say, kind of like a bridle. Like it's just turning me in the right direction, I think. And that's why I kind of set that rule for myself. But So I've been doing that. I've been thanking my Heavenly Father for things as I go along, but it's like, thank you for this day. Thank you for my blessings. Thank you for my family. And so today I sat down and I was like, have I really thanked him? Like really to the depths of my soul? Thanked my Father in heaven for my blessings? Have I acknowledged his hand in my life? His hand in the presence of my family? And all the things I'm blessed with, have I acknowledged his role in my talents and my abilities and the ways I'm able to bless the lives of others? And I had to sit there and for several minutes, my heart was just overflowing with thanksgiving to my Heavenly Father for all the great things that he has blessed me with. 
And, you know, I just continually to be amazed the way that he blesses me, not even necessarily with material things, but with things like health and my family, who my family to me is a miracle because I never thought I would get married. And not only did I get married, but I also have a son where I biologically should never be able to have a kid. And my heavenly father provided one for me to adopt basically. And so that is amazing to me. I am so grateful for the way that he takes my talents and the talents and gifts that he's given me and he's able to magnify them. Um, I mean, he just, he blesses me with opportunities. He blesses me with people in my life. He blessed me with awesome parents who, like Nephi, raised me in righteousness. You know, I'm just so richly blessed with the people that he puts into my life and all the experiences that he's given me that my heart is overflowing with gratitude to my Heavenly Father for those things. And it has been a hot minute since I sat down and actually like thought about all that. So I think that that gratitude and that thankfulness kind of creates a source of humility because I know I didn't do any of that. And I know I don't deserve any of that. That's coming straight from him. And that can put a giant block in the pride cycle. Um, because I think when we acknowledge him in all things, we turn to him and the pride cycle happens when we turn away from him. So if you, like me, were reading these sections on pride here in the Book of Mormon, I was worried. I'm like, am I going to be in the pride cycle? I don't want to be in the, like the bad part of the pride cycle. I want to stay in the good part of the pride cycle. Um, to me, I think being grateful to my Heavenly Father and recognizing how much I need Him and how much He's responsible for in my life, I think, was a good way to bring me closer to Him because it makes me want to continue to be closer to Him. And anything that brings me closer to Christ, I think, is good, <laughs> right? So... The next section of scriptures I wanted to talk about is Helaman 3, 29 through 30. It says, Yea, we see that whosoever will lay hold upon the word of God, which is quick and powerful, which shall divide asunder all the cunning and the snares and the wiles of the devil, and lead the man of Christ in a straight and narrow course across that everlasting gulf of misery, which is prepared to engulf the wicked, and land their souls, yea, their immortal souls, at the right hand of God in the kingdom of heaven to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob, with all our holy fathers to no more go out. Okay, so I love these scriptures right here because to me, it describes like a ninja warrior obstacle course to get to our heavenly father and how the scriptures like propel us through that ninja warrior obstacle course. If you think about our lives, our lives are beset with temptations, which could be like, you know, all kinds of different obstacles that we have to overcome to get to our Heavenly Father. And in these scriptures, it talks about the scriptures helping us to become the scriptures, which are quick and powerful, that they help us to divide asunder all the cunning and all the snares, the traps and the obstacles of the devil. And they lead the man of Christ in a straight and narrow course. Like I picture like walking across a balance beam, right? You know, like a really high balance beam and you've got the everlasting gulf of wickedness like down at the bottom. It's prepared to engulf the wickedness, but the scriptures propel you across that and they land your soul. There are immortal soul at the right hand of God in the kingdom of heaven. Like, do you see, like, I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> that may be like a kind of a crazy analogy, but that's kind of what I see in these verses, that our lives are like a ninja warrior obstacle course, and the scriptures are what propels us through it and lands us at the end with our Heavenly Father. Um, interesting that it says to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The reason he would bring that up is because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were the ones that kind of had the covenant there in the Old Testament. And so by saying that when we reach our Heavenly Father, that we will sit down with them means that we will have everlasting life, just like our Heavenly Father covenanted with Abraham to give to him. Everything he covenanted with Abraham, we now have as well. Those blessings are ours as well. And so that's what that, that he's, Helaman is saying to the people there. All right. I love that about scripture study, though. Scripture study is so powerful. Um, and that's something, again, I, I learned this week because I was like, I need to go through and figure out how to make my scripture study more meaningful. And this is the section where it came from, where I actually thought, okay, I need to actually take time to go through and like really delve into my scriptures. And this is a quote that got me there. So here, this is from Ezra Taft Benson. He says, success in righteousness, the power to avoid deception to resist temptation, guidance in our daily lives, and the healing of the soul. These are but a few of the promises the Lord has given to those who will come to his word. Does the Lord promise and not fulfill? 
Surely, if he tells us that these things will come to us if we lay a hold upon his word, then those blessings can be ours. And if we do not, then those blessings may be lost. However diligent we may be in other areas, certain blessings are to be found only in the scriptures, only in coming to the word of the Lord and holding fast to it as we make our way through the mists of darkness to that tree of life. And that is from The Power of the Word, Ensign, May 1986. So that quote to me was so powerful because of the blessings that it promises from scripture study. Just one more time, the list of blessings that he promises there, success and righteousness, the power to avoid deception and to resist temptation, guidance in our daily lives, healing of the soul. To me, those are all so powerful, especially the power to avoid deception. I feel like we are living in a society where there are many deceptions in our lives and we have to choose to see the truth behind them, especially when we start talking about those secret societies and combinations and stuff like that. Um, there are many of those that are very deceiving and to find the truth. When we read the scriptures, we have the power to see past some of those deceptions. And I think that's because it helps ground us. Um, you know, there's the messages of the world, I think, are blaring in our ears all the time. But when we turn to the word of God and we see exactly what God has said, we can see truth and we can recognize truth. And that helps us see past the deceptions in our lives. I also loved that the healing of the soul that is promised when we come to the scriptures. So for any of you who feel like maybe your soul needs healing, Scripture studies where it's at. I think that's beautiful. I loved, loved, loved that quote from Ezra Taft Benson. And I've actually got another quote I want to share with you in just a minute. But talking more about the pride cycle, we've talked about like the good part of the pride cycle, the prosperity and wanting to keep the prosperity. But, you know, then, then there's the part where you kind of fall into pride and disobedience and bad stuff like that. Right. And we see that in Helaman 336. And it came to pass that in the 50 and second year ended in the peace also. Save it were exceedingly great pride, which had gotten into the hearts of the people, and it was because of their exceedingly great riches and their prosperity in the land, and it did grow upon them from day to day. Okay, Ezra Taft Benson has said about pride, Think of what pride has cost us in the past, and what it is now costing us in our own lives, our families, and the church. Think of the repentance that could take place with lives changed, marriages preserved, and homes strengthened if pride did not keep us from confessing our sins and forsaking them. Think of the many who are less active members of the church because they were offended and their pride will not allow them to forgive or fully sup at the Lord's table. Think of tens of thousands of young men and couples who could be on missions except for the pride that keeps them from yielding their hearts unto God. Think of how temple work would increase if the time spent in this godly service were more important than the many prideful pursuits that compete for our time. And that is from the April 1989 conference. That was so interesting to me because a lot of times I think we think of pride as like, I'm really good. I've got all this good stuff. I'm amazing, right? Where I think pride is more subtle than that, especially the dangerous kinds of pride are more subtle than that. And like Ezra Taft Benson said in his quote, there's pride that keeps us from changing our lives for the better, that keeps us from wanting to preserve our marriage and change our marriage for the better, that keeps us from wanting to strengthen our homes, that keeps us from confessing our sins, that keeps us from coming back to church. You know, I worry significantly about that with my husband, you know, who's turned away from the church, he's left the church and things like that. If he ever comes to the point in his life where he does turn around and say, oh, I was wrong, you know, the church is true, I believe in all that, it is going to take a mountain of a climb to get him over his pride and back into church. And that terrifies me. I think that will probably be as hard for him to come back to church climbing over that pride mountain as it will be turning his eyes back around to like, okay, I believe, you know, kind of like the testimony U-turn as it were. And I think part of the U-turn is going to be him admitting, hey, I was wrong to leave. And the pride is going to be a big part of that. And that is really scary to me because he tends to be prideful about making up his mind about things. So um, that's one of the biggest hurdles I see to that. And I pray to my Heavenly Father a lot of times about that, um, that not only will he be able to see the truth, but that he'll be able to get over his pride to see the truth. Um, I think that's going to be a big issue for him. That scares me, I have to admit. All right. So pride. How do we keep from being prideful, especially in the way that these Nephites were? 
Elder Detaw Christofferson has a really good quote about this. He says, How can you make the gospel of Jesus Christ not just an influence in your life, but the controlling influence and indeed the very core of what you are? As a first step, you must lay aside any feeling of pride that is so common in the world today. By this I mean the attitude that rejects the authority of God to rule in our lives. You hear it expressed today in phrases such as, Do your own thing. Or, right and wrong depend on what I feel is right for me. That attitude is rebellion against God. And to me, that was important because you guys know I have struggled real hard to go back to school this year. You know, I feel like I've struggled, you know, this past two years even with the job that I'm in and where I feel like the Lord has put me. And that's pride. That's me saying, I don't need to do this. I'm too good for this. I could do something else, right? But no, that's me letting go and saying, okay, Heavenly Father, you want me in the spot. I know it's going to be really hard, but I'll do it. I turn my life over to you. I give up that pride and I do this for you, you know? And that's something that I have really struggled with, but making it a matter of prayer and making it a matter of scripture study shows me that that's pride and that's something that I need to put aside so that I can do my father's will and follow what he wants for me to do in my life. So just like Elder D. Todd Christofferson says, we must lay aside any feeling of pride that is so common in this world today that rejects the authority of God to rule in our lives. I want God to rule in my life. I want to follow him. And so I need to put aside that pride. All right, let's talk about a little bit about sanctification, okay? So Helaman 335, Nevertheless, they did fast and pray oft, and they did wax stronger and stronger in their humility, and firmer and firmer in the faith of Christ, unto the fulfilling their souls with joy and consolation, yea, even to the purifying and the sanctification of their hearts, which sanctification cometh because of their yielding their hearts unto God. In the Guide to the Scriptures, it says sanctification has been defined as the process of becoming free from sin, pure, clean, holy through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's the definition of sanctification, but how do we get there? Um, Looking back at that scripture that we just read from Helaman, it talks about fasting and praying. It says waxing strong in humility, firmer in the faith of Christ, looking for joy and consolation in Christ, and purifying our hearts and yielding our hearts unto God. Those are all really good ways that we can sanctify our hearts. And also it's important to note in that definition that it's a process. It's not something that we actually like finish. Boop, I'm sanctified. No, we continue that process. Um, And Elder D. Todd Christofferson, oh, he's so good. He's got a really good quote about this as well. He says, personal persistence in the path of obedience That is a tongue twister right there. Personal persistence in the path of obedience is something different than achieving perfection in mortality. Perfection is not, as some suppose, a prerequisite for justification and sanctification. It is just the opposite. Justification or being pardoned and sanctification being purified are the prerequisites for perfection. We only become perfect in Christ, not independently of him. Thus, what is required of us in order to obtain mercy in the day of judgment is simple diligence. And that's from the June 2001 ensign. So to me, again, that's that diligence that stands out to me because I'm like, I'm striving so hard to become more diligent to my heavenly father. And I think the key to that is in Helaman 335, fasting and praying often. And I would also add reading your scriptures, waxing stronger and stronger in humility, firmer in our faith in Christ yielding of our souls and hearts unto God, I think is really important too. All right, so we've covered a pretty good amount of ground, um, but we still have Helaman 5, which, you know, again, has my favorite scripture in it. And Helaman 5 is like the remember chapter. Remember is said over and over again in Helaman 5. In fact, the word remember is used 15 times just within the chapter of Helaman 5. So remembering is really important. And Spencer W. Kimball has a quote on this. He says, when you look in the dictionary for the most important word, do you know what it is? Do you know what the most important word is? It could be remember. Because all of you have made covenants, you know what to do and you know how to do it. Our greatest need is to remember. This is why everyone goes to sacrament meeting every Sabbath day, to take the sacrament and listen to the priest pray that they may always remember him and keep his commandments which he has given them. Remember is the word. Remember is the program. When I was little, 
I used to ask my parents all the time, I go to church and they tell me the same thing every Sunday. Like we, they repeat it all the time. There's those primary answers. Whenever they ask a question, the answer is always go to church, read your scriptures, have faith in Christ. Like those are always the answers. The answers are always the same because we need to remember the answers. That's why we have to learn the same things over and over and over again. And if you look at your life, at least when I look at my life, when I mess up, it's because I'm doing the things that I've forgotten to do. I've forgotten to follow Christ. I've forgotten to read my scriptures. I've forgotten to look for him in the little details of my life. I've forgotten to be grateful to him. You know, it's when I forget that I get in trouble. When I remember, I hold to him. And that's why I think remembering is so important. And we see it over and over again here in Helaman. It starts off in Helaman 5, 9. Oh, remember, remember, my sons, the words which King Benjamin spake unto his people. Yea, remember that there is no other way nor means whereby man can be saved only through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ who shall come. Yea, remember that he cometh to redeem the world. And remember also the words which Amulek spake unto Zeezrom in the city of Ammonihah. For he said unto him that the Lord surely should come to redeem his people, but that he should not come to redeem them in their sins, but to redeem them from their sins. And he hath power given unto him from the Father to redeem them from their sins because of repentance. Therefore he hath sent his angels to declare the tidings of the conditions of repentance, which bringeth unto the power of the Redeemer, unto the salvation of their souls. And now, my sons, remember, remember that it is upon the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ, the Son of God, that ye must build your foundation, that when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, his shafts in the whirlwind, Yea, when all his hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon you, it shall have no power over you to drag you down to the gulf of misery and endless woe because of the rock upon which you are built, which is a sure foundation, a foundation whereon if men build, they cannot fall. And that's my favorite scripture. I love that scripture. I've, I've referred to it multiple times, I know, in the podcast episodes previously, but it's because I believe it's true. And, you know, we talk about the different things I visualized as I read the scriptures this week. And this one, obviously, the first thing you want to visualize probably is a foundation, like the foundation for a house. But as I was thinking about this a couple years ago and thinking about the sacrament and how my covenants with my Heavenly Father worked, um, to me, when I first read this verse and like, you know, in my early understanding of it, it sounded like I needed to stand on the like the foundation. And even when the rains and the whirlwinds and stuff came, I'd be okay because I was just standing on a solid foundation, which is good. But as I've matured in my understanding of my baptismal covenants and the covenants that I renew when I take the sacrament, I understood it a little bit differently. You know, we talk about covenants being a two-part promise where we promise our Heavenly Father or something and He promises us something back. And when we promise to remember Him, He remembers us as well. So in my mind, that changed from being just like a flat foundation that, you know, standing on in the middle of the storm, where I want you to think of it as instead like wet cement, okay? So you go and you step down into the wet cement and then the cement hardens, And then the winds come and then the hail comes and the rain and the storms. And are you moving from that spot? Nope. Because not only are you standing on the firm foundation, but that firm foundation has a hold on you too. And that's the covenants that we renew each week when we take the sacrament. That that cement, our Heavenly Father, will keep holding on to us even in the middle of all these storms. You know, you could take that cement and you could flip it upside down and you'd still be like cemented in, right? No matter what happens to you, when you hold on to your Heavenly Father, He holds on to you. But you have to make that choice that you're the one who's going to stick their feet in that cement. You know, I started going through and looking for all these different analogies for foundations. You know, because obviously the first thing that comes up in your mind is the foundation to a house. But I'm like, there's foundations everywhere. You know, the bones are the foundation of the body and roots are the foundation of a tree or a plant. And even the core of the earth is the foundation for the very ground on which we stand. But what happens when those foundations are weak? Um, in the case of bones, bones break. And that's, that hurts a lot. In the case of trees, when those roots get a little bit too shallow, they can be ripped out in the middle of those winds and those whirlwinds, right? 
or even in the middle or the middle of our earth. I don't know geology super well, but I have to imagine that when there's issues with the earth's foundation, that's when earthquakes happen, right? Something like that. Someone out there sciencey is going to correct me on that, I'm sure. But um <laughs> that's in my mind that's how earth earthquakes cause is because the foundation of the earth is shifting around. We see what happens when foundations are weak. Not good things, right? Even the foundation of a house I love watching HGTV. I love watching the house flipping shows. I'm kind of a nerd about it. And there's these shows that go in and there's always issues with the foundation. And there's some of these houses that they'll go down underneath and they'll look at the foundation and there's spots of it where there's like literally nothing supporting it in spots on the foundation. Like there's just giant holes in it. So what happens when our foundation, our testimony in Christ has those holes in it? What happens when we kind of wiggle up out of the cement? We can't really stand as firmly or as fastly in those storms. So we've got to make sure that our grip or our feet are firmly planted in that testimony of Christ, that we don't have those holes or that those shallow root systems or anything like that in any of the other analogies I said. We've got to make sure our foundation is strong and that is secure in Christ. And how do we do that? No, it's the primary answers. It's the answers we're supposed to remember. Pray, read your scriptures, go to church, do what's right. You know, like all those things. Do those things. Keep your covenants. Focus on your Savior. Focus on coming closer to Him. Focus on planting your feet in that cement of your covenants every week. And that's going to bring you closer to Him. I promise. All right, guys, that's it for this week's episode. I'm going to post all of the quotes that I used this week in my blog. You can go see it at thesaviorsaid.blogspot.com. So if you want to look up any of those quotes, they will be there waiting for you. I hope you guys have an awesome week. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. You can also find me on Instagram comments or question, email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.